Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Whether prepared as a medicine or for other uses, he is altogether silent. They burned with such hatred and so great indignation against him on account of the detestable, imputed wickedness under whose ban he labored, that scarcely had he been present would he have escaped alive. So doubtless resistance is in vain made to the fury of an enraged mob in its first violent sway. In the meanwhile, he being conscious of his indiscreet flight from his country, being greatly anxious to know what the queen and her counsellors had resolved upon it, desired to consult at Brielle, the crystalline oracle now brought into the country of a foreign power. I will not here fully describe every incident of the whole journey from Brielle to Krakow, nor will I refer to or remark upon the cities and places through which it was necessary to pass, since any one is able to seek those from his own account of it by D himself, from which how many which are principally to be noted, and which conduce not a little to illustrate the history of his life. I have proposed in a brief abstract to rehearse and relate this alone being content to give warning of beforehand, that that journey was to be hastened, only somewhere about two or three days were to be taken up by it, according as circumstances happened, that nothing might interpose which might hinder D and his associates from performing these detestable actions. At length, after four months, having passed through great difficulties and dangers, with which it must necessarily be contended in the severe winter, D arrived at the castle of Lasco, his hereditary seat on February 3rd, 1584, where when he had remained for five weeks not without some great irksomeness and inconvenience, money being very sparingly supplied by Lasco, he being oppressed by debt and not having yet redeemed his mortgaged farms, on the ninth of March proceeded to Krakow, a royal city, there to await greater conveniences of life and new revelations. Here also, as elsewhere, actions are frequently held, in which the daemons most miserably deluded him, barbarous voices being uttered, then with the customary ambiguities oracles of an exalted meaning far beyond all understanding, many things concerning the division of the whole world under the leading and government of twelve angels, and especially concerning various angels who inhabit thirty regions of the air, and their number, and making reference to feigned mysteries of that kind from which all the secrets of nature were to be found out and by which means they might more and more of him captivate by wiles of this sort, they finally undertake to set forth and explain whatever formerly appeared in the Book of Enoch. But lest Lasco, whether by exerting the force of reason and waking up from his lethargy by the interior sense of his mind, should free himself from their wiles, they repeated again and again that promise made before in England as to his future royal dignity. In the meanwhile, 
Although these horrible rites were enacted, he and Kelly alone being present in most secret conclave from a clear illusion, as if some one of the malignant spirits with an outstretched arm were about to snatch away the crystal. D greatly feared, lest Lasco denouncing him to the king of Poland, who was then in the city, would make known all these things. But one, personating Gabriel, quickly banished this fear from his mind, promising freely that whatever had been done by them in these apparitions and conferences, the same was altogether hidden. But when the devil jugglers had here made no progress, nor was there any one in this city and court could give any help towards promoting their designs, or to be hoped or expected, D is ordered that he should in all haste be on his way to Prague, where Rudolf, the Emperor of Germany, was at that time staying attended by a most splendid train of courtiers. D pleaded, by way of excuse, that he had not sufficient money nor other provisions for undertaking such a journey, nor, according to the former command, could he, or ought he, to go thither without Lasco, made delay for some little time, until he and Kelly, by often repeated commands, not without reproaches as though they had foolishly and perversely acted, by so long delaying, they unwillingly were almost pushed forward." Krakow, therefore, being left, they arrived at Prague on the ninth of August, 1584, in which, as it were, in a new scene, we shall in the next place see things altogether wonderful performed by the subtlety of daemons. In order that D might the more speedily and conveniently comply with the commands of the spirits of going to Rudolf II, Emperor, not long after his arrival in the city, he had made himself known to William de Sancto Clemente, the ambassador of the King of Spain, whose friendship he had won. After that, he had revealed to him the horrible secret of the apparitions of angels in the crystal. Together with conversations and instructions given during the actions related by his own hand, he sent obsequious letters to Rudolph, together with his little book of the hieroglyphic monad, inscribed to his father Maximilian, to be delivered into his hands by the ambassador who, by his earnest and solemn words as to the truth of these revelations, repeated with a wonderful confidence, had lent too easy ears by reason of the weakness of his judgment, relying upon help, patronage, and management. The emperor, won over by the letter of D., shall I rather say overcome by the persuasions of the ambassador, ordered him to be sent for to the court, prepared at an appointed time to hear that which might be for his own good, as the ambassador had taken upon himself to promise in the name of D. D, therefore, being introduced by the chamberlain, was admitted into the private chamber, and at his first approach being benevolently received by the emperor, began his speech, the summary of which I will give here. Quote, that he indeed, although both at home and abroad, had with much labor spent forty years in the studies of wisdom and doctrine, he had been able to search out the sought-for and investigated truth, neither from books nor from familiar conversation with learned men, wheresoever he had traveled, 
Then turning to the great God, the source of all wisdom, he had earnestly implored him with continual and most fervent prayers that he would deign to his own glory to impart to him by divine illumination more certainly to understand the nature of things. That God had at length favored his most ardent desires and he had sent from heaven for the space of two years now beyond the half to illuminate his mind with the science and proofs of celestial mysteries which at the very same time he had committed to paper to last forever, which effect was produced by the aid of a crystal stone, which without doubt was of so great virtue and value that it far surpassed all the treasures of the whole world, inasmuch as in it those apparitions were made, and from which divine oracles were uttered. Then, having invoked the most sacred deity, he called him to witness that the thing was truly as he had stated, by whose command he then appeared in his presence in order to perform a sacred office, cautioning him that the angel of the Lord was rebuking him for his sins committed, that he, if he would believe in this celestial messenger, would triumph, but if otherwise the foot of God dashed against his breast, he would be precipitated from his throne. From this mutual relation being entered into God would most willingly certainly perform all these things. If the emperor was willing to renounce his sins and be converted to God, that his throne would be the greatest and most glorious of all that ever were, and that the devil, that is, as D interpreted it, the great Turk, being delivered up as a captive, all these things would have happened by the special command of God, that nothing was feigned, no hypocrisy was exercised, that he was inspired by no ambition nor desire of wealth, that he was not deluded by vain dreams, that he was not talking idly, finally, that if he had said anything otherwise than what was fitting, he from that moment would abandon all hope of eternal salvation. This verbose and impious speech being finished, to which the emperor had given attention with a calm and gracious mind, having made no interruption to that overflow of words, without even any sign of the least displeasure, the emperor replied that he did not distrust him, also he believed that D wished him well, nor was there any occasion for so great and frequent genuflections with which he had bent himself at his feet. By which most kind response, D being encouraged, superadded that he would show the emperor the whole series of actions of the angels from the very beginning to the whole history as in commands he had had it. The emperor answered that he at another time, would hear and understand about these things, and commanded him to feel assured of his favor and goodwill. And so, after a long hour, that famous ambassador of Damon's took his departure from that remarkable interview. It can scarcely be doubted, but that D from this wonderful kindness and indulgence of the emperor puffed up and joyful had flattered himself that he ate at length, would soon be the strenuous favorer and patron of introducing that world of new religion under the pretext of divine revelations, as formerly Mohammed had introduced his fantasies. 
but the event, quite contrary to his expectation and wishes, checked and chastised this most pleasing infatuation. In the meanwhile, there spread through the court and city rumors that a certain alchemistical spendthrift, magician and necromancer, had lately come thither to repair his fortunes and to deplete the coffers of the emperor of the money in them, which reproach D could not endure and took it most impatiently and with the greatest indignation, for he contended that his good report had remained quite unsullied, and hitherto unhurt by any scandal amongst all, both in Germany and also in the countries, as though indeed that anything of evil should be suspected of him were a great crime. But when, through two whole days, no invitation was dispatched from the emperor as to future appointments. Being very anxious in his mind, he had become sensible of his position. Altogether, impatient of longer delay, wrote to Spinola, earnestly entreating him that he would be kind enough to think out and suggest a means by which the emperor could be again more easily approached. But the emperor had left the city, for the purpose of hunting, and also Spinola had gone with him. However, a letter previously written to him, after a week's delay, was by some means delivered to D's messenger on the last day, saying that the emperor, because not only was he not well skilled in the Latin tongue, for this had they used in their conversation, but also, through a multiplicity of engagements of the utmost importance, would not be able to grant him an audience at any stated time. Therefore, he had committed the transferring of the whole of that affair to Dr. James Curtius, who was in his confidence a man truly in the greatest repute on account of his wisdom and his deep skill in the mathematical sciences, with whom D would be able to act most openly and with all freedom. If so it seemed proper to him, if otherwise, the emperor would consider in what way he could satisfy his desire. I refer the curious reader to the published relation where these and many other things, which I deem it best to omit, are specially reviewed, I being content to touch lightly upon the chief heads of things in this short account, which would increase into a great bulk if I were to deal with it, to the mansion of Curtius, at a great distance, D. betook himself on the fifteenth day of September, whither he took care that the crystal and eighteen books written with his own hand should be carried, delighting to repeat that by the mercy of God he had been taught by Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Oriel, and other good angels, whatsoever could be comprehended in those books already before explained, which being somewhat lightly evolved, and at last, rather more accurately, which was more nearly adapted to Rudolph after six hours he returned home, promising Curtius that he would declare all those things to the emperor without concealment, sincerely and faithfully. At the next conversation, which was delayed till the twenty-seventh day, Curtius came to the house of D., to tell him that the emperor, as concerning those things about which he had discoursed, were beyond all belief, and by no means could be done, and therefore he wished him to produce before him the account of the actions rendered in Latin, 
especially that which embraces the paraphrase of the symbol of the apostles, that a more mature and corrected judgment might be formed upon it, as much as his leisure would permit. Dee replied he would by no means allow the original writings to be taken out of his hands, but that a copy of those actions which he asked for should be written out. Then, having made complaints of the irksomeness of so long delay, he confesses that he had proposed in his mind to send other letters to the emperor, which indeed had been suggested to him by his spiritual masters and directors, and he had written out some days before. But these he afterwards decided more prudently to entrust to his friend, the Spanish ambassador, to be delivered. Also in these, that he might more certainly bring the king over to his views, Rudolph being more addicted to chemical experiments, if it be lawful for me so to speak, then became his dignity, avouched in the name of God, that the art and infallible method of making that blessed stone, commonly called the stone of the philosophers, was known to him, and he promises, by word of mouth and from his heart, and sacredly vows, as in the presence of the omnipotent God, that he would forthwith communicate that philosophical work. This sole reward being promised him that he should be distinguished by the title of the Caesarean philosopher and mathematician. Nevertheless, the emperor by no means yielded to this lofty style of speech and pompous verbosity, and the most flattering promises of accumulating immense wealth by the use and power of the gold-making powder, concerning which, however, of overcoming at some future time, D, as it seems, although scarcely any rays of hope shone upon him at present, did not altogether despair. In the October of this year, D rushed hastily to Krakow, to bring thence his wife, his family, and his furniture, whence, after a delay of two months passed in settling his affairs, he returned to Prague, authorized by letters of Lasco to the Spanish ambassador to draw more closely the ties of friendship before entered into. But after his return, he was more and more neglected by the emperor in Curtius, all intercourse as to the secrets, whether philosophical or celestial, being altogether discontinued, and no reason for it being now given, being warned also by the seducing spirits of the imminent danger of imprisonment, unless he consulted his safety by a precipitous flight. He left Prague, accompanied by Kelly and his wife, and hastened to make his way to Vratislas. But when he had come to Limburg, at a distance of six German miles, the next morning, having consulted the oracle, for this whithersoever he might betake himself, he always carried with him, and had accustomed himself to resort to upon every occasion that presented itself, he was ordered to return by a personated and fictitious Michael, since nothing further was to be feared from the anger and evil intentions of Rudolph, who would miserably perish in a year's time, and that Stephen, king of Poland, would in a short time be put upon his throne, and at the same time having cast off all fear to proceed openly through the city. Thus surely the spirits commanding to go hither and thither wantonly and saucily, with a blind impulse he most promptly complied, cunningly indeed, 
both by ostentation of his recondite learning and also his pleasing manners, he had before insinuated himself into the good graces of certain eminent men of great reputation and principal authority at court. Is proved by this clear indication that when his infant recently born was to be sprinkled with the sacred water, his sponsors were William de Sancto Clemente, ambassador to Caesar, the king of the Spaniards, the highest chamberlain and counsellor of his Caesarian majesty, and the noble lady, the dame of Dietrichstein, D. de Dietrichstein, the wife of the major domo of the palace, the capellan of the emperor administering the sacred rites in the greater temple of the metropolis of Prague. As scarcely any one publicly was seen to be so preeminent, which contributed more to the honor of D. Indeed, at his request, the name of Michael the Archangel was given to the infant as a grateful remembrance, as he fondly thought of the observance towards him on account of his kind dictatorship and defense. Lest D. should charge the spirits with the crime of broken faith in their not revealing as yet the secret so often promised of making gold. At length, Levaniel dictated a ludicrous formula involved in a great intricacy of barbarous words, of a certain chemical preparation by means of which to extract that blessed red and glorious powder, which neither he nor his secretary understood, and which, although it was veiled from all others under coverings of that sort, to them at least it was due that it should be explained." but the whole process seems to be composed to astonish and distract rather than to inform the mind. But whilst in that very great want of all things to which he was reduced by the want of money, he sustained his languishing mind and craving stomach with these golden dreams, mater familias, perceiving that no otherwise was it possible to provide the things necessary for daily use, except by selling the furniture or pledging the clothing, now helpless in herself, is tormented in the most miserable manner. Her husband was ashamed as a philosopher to confess these domestic evils, or to reveal to the great men and others whose friendship he had most studiously sought the poverty under which he labored. This certainly was little consonant with the dignity of the philosophical profession and its course of life. He preferred to die and be killed by starvation than in this base manner, as it were, by begging to help his very great necessity. But his wife, a weak woman, feeling the greatest misery on account of her little ones, lest they should pine away with hunger, could not harden herself with such ruggedness and obstinacy. What, therefore... She, according to her wit and shrewdness, wrote suppliant letters in her own name to pray for pity and excite the affection of the angels, whom she felt it was wrong that they should be suspected of being altogether void of feeling to be read at the next action, that they might by their advice be shown in what way and from whom help of that sort of which at that time they were most in need could be sought for. But she, being upbraided for her rashness and audacity shown by the testimony of opposing the will of God, they answered the questions proposed amongst other things, that necessity must be obeyed, 
that the furniture and ornaments of the house and the garments of the body must be converted into money to prevent their dying of hunger. This consolation being added, that they wished well to her and her children, and in the end would take care of them. Then they advise her husband to hasten thence towards Poland to Stephen and Lasco. But when he had for a week delayed that destined journey, being occupied with domestic affairs, after craving the indulgence of a short delay, together with Kelly, his constant companion, and two servants, having left Prague, proceeded to Krakow on the 12th of April. After a few days, Lasco interceding and procuring for him an easy approach, D being introduced by the same to the presence of King Stephanus, addressed him shortly, saying, that he, having received a divine admonition, these are his very words, concerning those things which were divinely enjoined upon him, was most ready to entreat with his royal majesty, and then to relate in regular order the history of the mysteries, as occasion shall be given, from which purpose he had come thither, to whom the king most graciously his promise and favor and patronage having previously been sent, replied, that he would take care to appoint a more opportune time for discussing those matters, certainly after a few days. It was then the time of the Paschal Feast. Now twenty days having passed, during which the crystal was covered with a curtain, according to the will of the spirits, whilst they were at Prague, the oracle was dumb, the discontinued actions renewed. On the twenty-third day of May, Lasco and Dee, having met together in the presence of King Stephanus in an interior chamber of the palace, thus spoke to Dee at the first commencement of this conference. I have brought with me the Palatine, that I might hear you concerning these great and rare things which I have willingly done, and nevertheless this ought to be taken into consideration, that all the prophets and revelations long ago, and even in the time of Christ, have ceased. Nevertheless, if there be nothing in them against the honor of God, on that account it is to be heard more willingly, and I indeed do not doubt, but that God can now in many ways reveal certain secrets to men, even up to the present time unheard of and unaccustomed. D. endeavored to remove all scruple from the mind of the king. He is about to explain as to each article proposed to answer the powers of a subtle genius, a long speech being made, which the curious reader will find in the appendix, for to reduce that to a compendium is too tedious. Out of his heart and mouth, nevertheless with his wonderful promptitude and fervor, which the importance of the subject and a false zeal had excited, he was suddenly captivated by him, overflowing with persuasive words, that, in the next action, out of favor to him to be conducted in the Latin language, he by no means refused to be present. But, however, this was performed on the 27th of the same month, when the crystal being produced, and other ceremonies gone through, and a prayer to God according to the occasion, solemnly uttered in words previously conceived, D began the performance. But Stephanus did not any further allow himself to be deluded by these diabolical incantations, the divine grace assisting him, nor even after this was he willing to be present at those horrible mysteries. 
D. did not altogether despair of convincing him. He therefore at last accosted him as the malignant spirits had commanded, as to communicating to him as lately to Rudolph the proposed secret of making the philosopher's stone. But Stephanus, having now become more prudent, most constantly repudiated, with a fixed resolve, fallacious promises of that sort. Therefore, when he had profited nothing in engrafting his blasphemous and impious opinions upon Stephanus, at the end of July he hastened to return to Prague. Not long after, Franciscus Puccius of Florentine, a man of a subtle genius, brought up to literary studies and most devoted to curious arts, was admitted into this mystic society, whom, suspecting him of bad faith, and considering him to be a spy, D. in the following year rejected and expelled him from this most sacred communion, nor was he by any gratifying and flattering epistles, nor by any professions of renewed relationship and sincere friendship afterwards to be conciliated by him. In the meanwhile, by harsh censures, mocking jests, and scornful affronts leveled at him up and down, D, although considered to be the great joke of the vulgar, determined to delay still at Prague, and to have a fixed domicile there, with a mind, if not joyful, at least not despondent, about to seek new friends, favorers, and patrons most carefully, for no one better knew good manners, or was more accustomed to subtleties and wiles to approaches and overcome the unwary. Amongst these was eminent the nobleman Gilelmus Ursinus, lord of Rosenberg, a knight of the Golden Fleece, supreme burgrave of the kingdom of Bohemia, who, evidently, allured by his enticements, gave himself up entirely to his direction, as though he had been a participator of the secret things of God, and the familiar friend of the angels, under whose auspices and patronage, which hitherto had come to nothing, indeed, from his incurable insanity and obstinacy, and the magistrates hoped that it might at length be effected. This new pupil soon to be enrolled amongst the mystics, the malignant spirits as if already about to achieve a triumph, in order that they might more and more befool him, inspired with the desire of worldly glory and unbridled ambition, and bound him with inextricable knots. They afterwards declared to him that he would bear greater degrees of honor than was his lot by birth and that it would be lawful to hope that he would be very illustrious and doubtless would be king of Poland. In the meantime, when Rosenberg had turned his mind to contracting marriage, though still doubtful what kind of woman he was to marry, they advised that he should take for a wife a lamb, i.e. a virgin, by no means to rob the family of a neighboring poor man, for as it seems he had previously too much indulged in unrestrained morals and excess. After this action of the 30th April 1586 had come to an end, they so willing it, the visitations were to be intermitted and to cease for six months. This vacation and keeping holiday being conceded, D. being very anxious about his affairs in England, after a few days' journey to Leipzig, to learn from the mouth of Englishmen, according to custom, going to the fair, there always held for trading purposes what happened at his house, which had peculiar interest for him. 
Having seized upon this opportunity and having obtained a faithful letter-carrier, who was soon to return into England, he wrote a long epistle, dated the fourteenth day of May, to D. Walsingham, the secretary, as in the previous year he had written to the Queen herself on the same subject, in which he had put together many things concerning the state of his own affairs, viz., that the emperor and other principal men of the adherents of the Roman pontiff touched with a feeling of grief at the calumnies uttered, and the evil and erroneous opinions before conceived against him had suffered much, that they were endeavoring as well by force as by instilling fear that he should be drawn into parts the which each one and another followed, that he from the first conversation held with the apostolic nuncio Malaspina, for a year opposed, and, as if held down by flattery, was altogether opposed to friendship, Rome being disturbed and alarmed by these new circumstances, then the queen was to be warned, with added threats that a violent death was to be inflicted on her, that she was to be despoiled of her palaces, library, and furniture after his departure, and her revenue intercepted, that it behooved them to send into Germany Thomas Diggs, as a most suitable man, closely tied to him by an ancient friendship, with whom he might most openly talk in communicating secrets of the utmost importance to the queen." and finally, that she would have better consulted her own interests if she had expended ten hundred thousand pounds of gold, either in almsgiving or in any other way than in not listening to his advice, than to have suffered such opportunities to slip by. Not, however, that all hope had been taken away, because God, in his mercy, had ordained that there should be a means of amending the situation. Thus he wrote with the greatest confidence, as if all these things had been put into his breast by the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, whilst he was absent, the bishop, Placentinus, recently sent from Rome that he might succeed another nuncio, authorized by a very urgent command of the pontiff, altogether astonished at these novelties everywhere laid open, delivered to the emperor a petition, in which he accused D of magic and necromantic arts, mingling with it warnings, lest from the indulgence so long conceded, either the Christian religion or the public tranquillity should be violated, petitioning also that he might be removed to Rome. But D, ignorant of the danger which hung over his head, when on his return to Prague, had learned not without great horror and extreme sadness, and in order to avert that great danger which instantly pressed upon him, immediately sent letters both to Lord Rosenberg and also to the Emperor, but altogether in vain. For neither did his supplications and intercession avail anything, nor could his piety and prudence any longer be vindicated, since to every one it was easily apparent that delusions of that sort, unless some favorable accident happened, would spread abroad further, and would have a lamentable end. For the decree of the 19th of May, in the more secret council of the emperor, was that after six days Dee and Kelly, with their whole families, should depart beyond the territories of his imperial majesty, under the danger of undergoing the extreme penalty, 
if they contravened it. All his belongings being packed up, he with the greatest haste made his escape beyond, in a safer place, to take new counsel. What now, in the matter, it would be most fitting to be done in this inconvenient and troublous time. Having proceeded to Erfurt, a city in Thuringia, in that city he was about to hire a house. Then he received a denial from the senators, to whom the report of his exile had come, they fearing such a guest. Permission, however, being yielded of staying there until he could more conveniently find another. Hither also came Puccius, having first had a conversation with the nuncio, from whom he had received a written safe conduct, in which he undertook that D and his constant companion, if they were willing to go to Rome, there they should be treated with all humanity and charity, according to the plighted faith. After a month or thereabouts applying to them, having before spoken many things as to the benevolence of that nuncio towards them in their entering upon their journey to Rome, many arguments being brought forward, and especially this reward of which he wished him persuaded that God, in a certain action, had declared that they were to go to Rome. But D was not so foolish as to fall headlong into the trap laid for him by this spy. It would evidently here be tedious to mix up the altercations carried on by both parties. But when the perfidy of Puccius began to be more and more apparent to D from these discourses, he decided that he should be cut off from the society on account of this and other causes. For instance, because of his harsh attack, in disputing in quarrelsome manner on account of his foolishness and imprudence, rashly allowing himself in revealing secret things, no permission being asked, on account of the undue desire and curiosity of penetrating into things by no means pertaining to him, and, finally, on account of his manners not at all pleasing to their wives." and altogether unworthy longer to remain in that society, and deservedly, according to the advice before given by the angels. But lest it should render him altogether estranged from him, he committed the letters to his care to be delivered to the nuncio Cassellus. Afterwards, changing his mind, he took calmly their ignominious banishment, being comforted both by the letters of Rosenberg and also assisted with money and having obtained such a patron and advocate, and being in very great favor with the emperor, he determined to nourish a good hope in his mind concerning a future return into Bohemia, which at length, by his repeated intercessions, was partly effected, the decree being so far revoked that D was permitted to return only thereafter he was to remain within the borders and circuit of the lands of Lord Burgrave, nor should he wander elsewhere and beyond. Therefore, being most kindly invited to the castle of Trebona, the hereditary seat of Rosenberg, he, joyful, hastens thither as to a most safe asylum in the month of September, about to rejoice with the greatest freedom in the fellowship of daemons, now for so long a time discontinued. The six months 
being finished during which by the order of the magistrates no apparitions had been made, the accustomed actions at last began to be renewed, in which the daemons, making sport and amusement with vain promises they bewitched Rosenberg, he being much more excited by these horrible mysteries, and from the too great good nature of his disposition, no longer being master of himself, a compact doubtless was to be entered into with him, and the celestial mystery also to be revealed. Were there any doubt from which he could not easily be freed, for instance as to the Polish succession, and the means by which that kingdom might be more easily obtained of making gold, by whom it was given of the powder, and whether anything as to that treasure was to be communicated to Caesar, or he should meet with other things of the most serious importance, D. directed him when advice was to be asked, to call upon these oracles, that he might be most certainly informed how he ought to conduct himself. D. proposed that these questions, and others, concerning the use and multiplication of that powder, divinely given, as he believed, and also concerning St. Dunstan's method of making it, also to certain private and domestic circumstances before read from a written paper before the oracle but it is evidently tedious here to recount the crafty and ambiguous responses solutions and advice by which they played upon his vain foolishness so according to his custom d fascinated by the diabolical lies was hardened into embracing and retaining his errors and dreams I will not deny that he had been so far pure from base wickedness that he had been zealous for probity, earnest in prayers to God, that he had practiced great holiness and reverence for the Christian religion in the midst of these illusions by which he was circumvented. But, behold, a most astonishing specimen and example of most deplorable trickery and diabolical tyranny exercised towards him. There appeared in the crystal a white column, upon whose stem the heads of D. Kelly and their wives were joined together in one, hanging over under the same crown, their bodies included within, as a sign of consecrating by this emblem of the closest union between them, which D. wished to be understood in a Christian and pious sense, but contrary to the intention of the pseudo-angels who, being consulted upon the matter, interpreted it as not being of spiritual love only, and the union of minds, but also of carnal and promiscuous conjunction and concubinage, and they most expressly commanded that it should be done. To D, it was dreadful, saying that it would be a manifest violation of the divine law and the gospel, but being reproved, he dared to doubt as to this new command whether it could be from God. At length, after a long dispute, he ceased. His wife, being made aware of this proposition, trembled, ready to weep, vowing she would never consent to such an infamous deed, but being overcome by the subtleties of her husband, the secret counsels of God. So deluded, she felt almost unwilling, she decided to obey. In the meantime, 
when they were struggling against it, nor could be easy in their mind by repeated commands from their preceptors, and especially from him personating Raphael, yea, and even by Christ himself, which things are horrible to be said, that the advice of the angels was dictated and delivered by the angels as a trial of their faith, asserting that it had gone forth from him but by no means the doctrine which referred to them alone and ought to be published to other mortals. And that which they call lawlessness or iniquity is to be followed out and done with joy because of the high authority commanding it. For thus he most impiously blasphemed, these four being incited to enter into this solemnity with God, subscribing their names, the 3rd of May, 1587, they entered into the pact, deprecating the anger of the offended deity, inasmuch as they had not consented to it from lasciviousness and the lusts of the flesh, but solely out of regard to the divine command from faith and obedience, even as Abraham had formerly done in the proposed slaying of his son. Oh, what deplorable stupidity! Oh, execrable insanity! It would seem incredible that a man well instructed in the Christian religion, yea, even imbued with only a slight sense of moral virtues, should have been so nearly blind that he was not able to see so far as the furthest cord of his foolishness and madness, unless D had committed it to writing, explained with an ample commentary, and made clear by wonderful circumstances. So much indeed was he ashamed of this promiscuous intercourse, that more certain and sure precautions should be taken, lest it should ever become known to any one of mortals. That all impiously entering into this pact swore with a dreadful imprecation, uttered solemnly before God, that to each of those four revealing to any one, and also to each other and every other person to whom this horrible secret shall be revealed, a sudden death shall be inflicted in that very moment. Thus far from the diary of the journey and actions, the papers which ought to have followed embracing the narrative of things carried on after the sojourn at Trebona and neighboring places, for there D dwelled for more than a year and a half, were lost. The Queen Elizabeth pitying D, who from shame or from fear did not dare to re-seek his country, from which he had secretly withdrawn, and being unwilling that the disgrace to the English nation from the evil deeds of one or more deserters should further be branded upon it, commanded him by letters dispatched by a messenger to return into England, making no excuse or delay. But he, being most desirous of seeing again his native soil and his domestic hearth, which, by the favor and indulgence of royalty he was now able to do, joyfully hastened the journey, and having passed the great dangers and defrayed the expenses, at the end of the year of 1589, after an absence of six years, he happily reached his house at Mortlake. But D, after his return, 
not without experiencing grief, saw on the one side that the memory of things done before had not faded out of the minds of those in whom he had previously noted it, suspicions but little, whilst he was absent, laid to sleep, now at last break forth and burn again, atrocious calumnies and charges brought against him at court scoffs hurled at him on the highway from whom if by chance it had happened boys playing in the streets were wont to run away as if frightened as though it were from a magician whom in english we call a conjurer the prelates also and other ecclesiastics were greatly incensed against him because of the unlawful arts to which his youthful years had devoted himself on the other side diminished revenue, no reparation as yet made from the loss inflicted on him by a tumultuous mob, domestic affairs becoming worse, that he, though at his first approach received by the queen with a smiling face, was not as yet a partaker of either an annual pension nor of any rich appointment. Finally, soon to be deprived of all support to nourish his family, and about to perish of hunger, unless the benevolence of the queen and of friends presently relieved him with money sent privily, for which reason that he might more conveniently obviate these evils coming upon him. In a supplicating petition of the ninth November, 1591, for that being worn out by a tedious expectation for three years, and forced to do something he most earnestly besought of the queen from which he showed that she would vouchsafe to appoint two or three commissioners, who themselves, by justly representing his circumstances, might know them by a rigid searching out and examination. She, consenting and ordering it, two most honorable men, John Woolley, secretary of the Latin letters, and Thomas George, of the Queen's wardrobe, after one week or more, appeared at Dee's house, to whom he read a compendium. Note, the manuscript is extant in the Cottonian Library under Vitellus C. 7, which I had found whilst occupied in compiling the catalogue of that most celebrated library. From thence I took care it should be copied by my amanuensis. Hence the first opportunity of describing his life was derived, being at that time altogether ignorant that another copy of his autograph was extant elsewhere. Previously made by him of his life and studies during the space of fifty years, and methodically divided into chapters, with documents, proofs, and testimonies to the truth of things, and when it was necessary, it had to be made from books, letters, and papers, laid out on a table and brought forward before them, in which everywhere remarking his deservings of his country, his literary abilities, and the queen herself, and the promises so often repeated, made in vain and violated, of the loss which he had sustained from the pillaging of his house and library, and from the present almost dearth of all things at length, in the name of himself, his wife and seven children, he most humbly and earnestly beseeches that they would be willing to intercede with the queen, that out of her clemency and kindness she would give relief equal to this intolerable evil. But, Neither the queen, nor her counsellors, nor the bishops, from the prejudices nourished in the depths of their mind, conceded anything to these importunate petitions. D, therefore, having a clear insight as to whence 
that severity took its origin, in order that he might clear himself of all impeachment and suspicion of magic, under which he labored, took care to send written apologetical letters to the Archbishop of Canterbury at the beginning of the year 1595, in which he asseverated in the most solemn manner, under the danger of the damnation of his soul, that he, in prosecuting his studies in philosophy, had hitherto used, and was now still using, the sole good, lawful, honest, Christian, and divinely prescribed reason and method, for under this name of philosophy it so far pleased him to conceal his impious curiosity, that long before he had been accustomed to boast himself as being a good Christian philosopher." that he made this defense, not so much that the mouth of the barkers being shut, he could set himself to meet the foolish, impious, and false rumors, calumnies, and fables spread everywhere through England, as that he might by that means satisfy good and honest men from his long curriculum of studies, and from the series, number, and arguments of his books written during forty years which he here recounts notwithstanding, not one word does he say as to his intercourse with spirits, whether in England or beyond England. And he craftily conceals his books copied with his own hand concerning the doctrines and revelations of angels. Otherwise he had openly disclosed his own folly and madness, that of one who had allowed himself to be so stupidly imposed upon, as well as the impiety of one who dared to ascribe those horrible secrets contained in those books to God and the good angels. Whence to no one ought it to appear wonderful, if from this persuasion, although most false and most foolish, fastened upon his inmost marrow, that he fell into that madness, to that startling oath, by which he vows the eternal perdition of his soul, unless he shall have spoken the truth, which he was forced to employ in defense of his injured good fame. But the queen, whether softened by this specious defense, or rather touched with pity towards an old man now verging on seventy years, whom she was accustomed merrily to call her own philosopher, now reduced to extremities with his numerous family, promoted him in that very year, by letters patent to the government of the College of Manchester in the county of Lancaster, Hugo Bellatus, his predecessor, being a little time before promoted to the Episcopate of Chester. Here he lived for seven years, not only comfortably, but magnificently, with great fame indeed, but not equally good, inasmuch as he was harassed, by malignant censures, and infamous suspicions from the study of secret philosophy, which he continually kept before him. Intent on performing his office, with such great industry, prudence, and open profession of religion, that thence no opening might be given for incrimination by making a scandal. For not into this account ought to be referred the quarrels which he had with his associates, whether concerning the monies accruing from the yearly revenue to be divided amongst them, or whether from the government, which was not according to his sole arbitrament, but managing it by mutual counsels. 
Also, the townspeople and the country folk so sillily, I will say, deemed him to be so much above the ordinary run of mortals that they believed that any in that part of the country were obsessed or tormented by the wiles of witches. They flocked to him as to a most potent exorcist, imploring his good help, until the praise of the common people being turned into a reproach, he repudiated altogether this power over daemons ascribed to him, in the meantime kindly advising them that in the providing for overcoming such great evils for relief they should go to consult the ministers of sacred things. But lest those suspicions everywhere believed in, by no subtlety, by earnest and solemn words were to be abated, and also were gaining belief with the new king, which D could not do otherwise than suppose would end in great disgrace and loss to himself. He took care to be shown to King James' suppliant petitions, together with apologetic letters to be put into his own hand, now at last defending himself on the fifth day of June 1604, in which he again protests with the greatest earnestness that he is pure and innocent of all crime of magic, that he offers himself to be examined in his presence and his counsellors according to the ordinances of the kingdom then assembled concerning those rumours and suspicions under which he had labored from their being reported all over England, and that if he had had any intercourse with daemons, if he were adjudged as being guilty of practicing magic by the votes of the assessors and judges, he would be under the penalty of death to be without pity inflicted either by the punishment of burning alive or by stoning or by burying alive." Thus he most pertinaciously and madly persisted in that most false and impious opinion as to his familiar friends, whom he believed to be good angels sent by God, not to be disgraced under the infamous title of daemons. But the most serene king, then whom no one more execrated diabolical arts hidden under whatever veil, or with a more solid judgment or a keener zeal, according to the manner of his life and his studies under Lord Robert Cecil, Earl of Salisbury, and Treasurer of England, by whose wise counsels he was guided in the most difficult matters of the kingdom, being by him instructed, did, as it appears, despised the man, and judged him to be evidently unworthy of the royal grace and favor for his piety and learning. At length, therefore, whether discouraged by the evils of advanced age, whether rather overwhelmed by the taunts and scoffs wantonly leveled at him, he left Manchester in the month of November, 1604, there being reserved to him by special permission, the revenue and salary of the prefecture, again to seek his own house at Mortlake. In the month of March, 1606, D., suffering from calculus and other maladies, oppressed by extreme poverty and agitated by the sorrows of a wounded spirit, but having obtained a new interpreter of these oracles, who was also a seer, Bartholomew Hickman, in whose place, if by chance he happened to be absent, or could no longer stay in England, an intimate friend of D., John Pontesius, later returned from Poland, and addicted to chemical experiments and curious arts, earnestly asked to be substituted. 
Raphael personated, appearing alone, as in the following actions, and commanded him to be of good courage, and that he would be sure to recover his health, and by renewed promises concerning the understanding, the stone of the philosophers, and the knowledge of the book of St. Dunstan, also concerning miracles to be performed by him, also concerning other mysteries and secrets of divine wisdom to be revealed to him, that no mortal ever except Enoch either had or will have such and so great degrees of the knowledge of celestial things. As to the future, he undertakes at repeated actions, that having settled his affairs and left his country as soon as possible, he should in the name of God seek other countries, and further imparted that he to be his perpetual companion, as he had formerly been to Tobias, that Earl Salisbury was stirring up against him, as judged to be a magician, by devils whom he names, that he was carried away by an implacable hatred towards him, and was contriving plots for his certain destruction. Wherefore, he must hasten out of England if he wished to be safe. In the meantime, Dee proposed many doubts to be solved, such as concerning borrowed monies, and also to his silver vessels carried off by theft, concerning the finding of buried treasure, concerning obtaining a safe conduct, concerning the companions of his journey, and especially which way it should be decided upon to go, and with the greatest convenience to which amongst other things which I deem are best omitted, it was answered that all that, whether he chose Germany or any other country, must solely depend upon his own judgment, wherever he might be, he would be provided for and taken care of, and whatsoever was most suitable to be done would there be taught him. Of these actions, which began in the preceding March, the last was performed on the 7th of September. But not long after, whilst he was preparing all things necessary for setting out on his journey, the most miserable D, as yet confined to his own house, his disease, increasing more and more, completed the course of his life in the eighty-first year of his age. Thus, indeed, by those fatal illusions in which he had bound up his mind for fifty years without any perception of his most deplorable foolishness, he seems to have been killed, and lies buried within the chancel of the parish church, of whose fabric both in repairing and ornamenting he had well deserved. His name, which will remain to all posterity, some will read with honor on account of his very great skill in mathematics, others from a consideration for human infirmity, and making excuse for his too great credulity, will pity him, but others on account of his impious zeal and earnest endeavor to bring a new religion into the world, will hold him in hatred, horror, and execration. Thus, far have I described, briefly indeed, and closely the history of the life and studies of John Dee. But when many things which help to illustrate both, lest the series of the narration everywhere mixed up in them, should be interrupted, I have purposefully and providentially omitted those I will recite in this appendix, as in a more convenient place, and also in a short compendium. As to what 
relates to his paternal lineage, D could boast that he was of a noble and ancient family, having its origin in Wales, if he properly enumerated amongst his ancestors Roderick the Great and Holda, i.e. the good princes of Wales, and both of the highest fame with their own nation, and then Rhesus of immortal memory, and other men of great renown in a long series, if faith is to be placed in a genealogical chart produced by him, continued even down to David, the great-grandfather of our John. But here the surname D, which in English signifies black, was first brought into the family, which soon was modified into the softer-sounding D, passed as characteristic to his son Beto, the nephew Roland and pro-nephew John, but since it would be an unnecessary labor and altogether foreign to the subject longer to dwell upon the investigating and reciting the studies of all these things, the things done, and the accidents of life, if the exact material were available, I will mention only one of the later nephews. He is Francis D., a grandchild's grandson of Beto, formerly a fellow of the College of St. John, the evangelist in the University of Cambridge, who, after passing through some grades of ecclesiastical dignities, was made dean of the church at Chichester, and at last was promoted to the Episcopal bench of Peterborough. He was a man truly venerable and eminently deserving of his high appointment and a credit to the college in which he was educated. He breathed out his pious soul in the year 1638. Concerning Arthur, the eldest son of our John, it will be related further on. Although, D. by some in published books and by our forefathers in familiar conversation about him, is most commonly called doctor, whether of medicine or, as some think, of theology. It, however, certainly is proved that he was content with the laurel of M.A., which he had formerly gained in the University of Cambridge, that he had neither sought for nor wished to obtain the higher degree and title of the university, whether ours or a foreign one. In the records of the college of which he had chief charge, as to the income pertaining to the elocutions, as is shown by the register, he is always called Master of Arts. Nor is it prejudicial to this statement that in the parchment roll in which the names and the family crests painted in a long series are contained from Thomas Lowere, priest, and afterwards his elder brother, departing this life without male issue, a parliamentary baron in the time of King Henry V, the founder, even to John Dee, above the proper designation of his family, is inscribed in English, M. Goenis Dee doctor in mathematics. On the other part, he is the royal mathematician, since this title was given to him honoris causa, conferred on him because of his passing skill in the mathematical sciences, never by any public authority by which the professors of other faculties are distinguished with doctorate. Now, D sometimes calls that crystalline globe the showstone, or scry stone, sometimes the stone of manifestation, the sacred stone, also the mystical stone, and finally the receptacle. After the operations, note the Latin word is actio, we now call it seance, 
at Cambridge, a public controversy is now called an act, probably from this word actio. With it, there very often appear on the opposite side of it a golden curtain, sometimes also a white veil, both produced by the contrivance of daemons. He had most foolishly believed that this stone had been given into his hands by an angel. It will, therefore, to no one appear wonderful that a short time before his death he called his celestial gift his gem, and held it in the highest honor and reverence. Lest, therefore, it should be touched, as it were, by impure hands, when it was necessary to remove it from one place to another, or from the roundness of the material might fall on the floor, or from the smoothness of the glass this accident might happen, he took especial care to have a small mechanical contrivance made of gold in which it might remain fixed in a frame exactly fitting it. Assurance, indeed, being first given in concise words, that no evil spirit to whose deceits and illusions it might have been liable should enter into it. When Kelly would have preferred to hold conversations with angels outside the crystal, floating, as it were, in the liquid air and balancing themselves. For this reason D forbade it, lest deceit might be practiced from it, although he afterwards confessed that a certain daemon in the form of a huge molossan dog of a black color had appeared within it, pretending that he was a good angel, whom therefore with revilings he called the infernal dog. But with these doubts often entering into his mind, and as often vanishing by the guile of the daemons, by the renewed promise of the feigned Michael, that no unclean thing should ever in future invade that vessel, D falls back into his former madness. Although soon after a certain daemon of that sort, in whom the people of the earth will be cursed, i.e., the Antichrist, as he interprets it, appearing in the crystal made himself visible. In the next place comes to be noted mensa federis, in English league table, or table of covenant, whose whole fabric he largely describes as to its form and dimensions together with various lines, figures, and dimensions and characters, especially as he had been taught by Gabriel. Besides, that figure which occupies the center of the table, composed of oblong squares, in each of which cut crosswise unknown characters are engraved, being always the same, is called sigillum Dei, never to be looked at but with the greatest reverence upon which in all operations the mystical stone was to be placed. That very table, which we may truly call magical, exists to this day in the Cottonian library. Nor will there need any further description of it, whose likeness engraved in brass before the history of these operations was written was published by Dr. Casabon. To this table appertained a peculiar sacred, as it is called, apparatus, that is to say a coverlet, a white linen cloth spread over it, a desk, a candlestick, a wax candle burning at the time of operation, a shrine in which red crosses were interwoven, all of which were kept, as is the custom, in the oratory devoted to these horrible mysteries, which it was not lawful for any but the initiated to enter, if we give willing ears to their fables. 
For when a certain servant of Lasco had broken violently into the chapel of the house at Mortlake, destined for these uses, on account of the impious profanation of the sanctuary, the angry avengers of these violated rites foretold that he would be drowned after a few months. Besides that famous crystal above mentioned, which is called the first sanctified and principal one, there appears to have been another very like it. It is reported that he also made use of other glass globes smaller in form, which are in frequent use with the Magi. It is believed these were supplied privately to D, but whether made by art or whence they were brought, not any one, as far as I know, has shown in any published work. If we contemplate his morals and the external course of his life, not anything disgraceful or dishonorable can be alleged against him, seeing that he was a sober, of a sedate disposition and quiet manners, free from all luxury and gluttony, most desirous of what is just and good, kind to the poor, easy of access and courteous to his neighbors, whose disputes he was wont to moderate and determine, both of the contending parties appealing to him as to a wise arbiter, frequent in attending public worship and in prayer, a strenuous asserter of the articles of the Christian faith, in which all orthodox Christians agree, burning with zeal against heretics, condemned by the primitive church, and inveighing most sharply against Puccius, who called in doubt the virginity of the Blessed Mary before the birth of Christ, although he was not so scrupulously anxious about the controversies between the Romanizers and the Reformers as to the remaining heads of the doctrine, but that in Poland and Bohemia, where that religion is dominant and flourishes, he thought it was lawful for him to be present at the Mass and to communicate. In England, as before, so after his return, he conformed to all the rites of the English church. All, therefore, not without cause, will wonder what a man endowed with such gifts and moral attributes could have lapsed into such madness as that with which he raged. But what I have said above, and it seems here necessary again to repeat it, is that an immoderate desire of wisdom and the undue love of the science of the secrets of God and of nature rendered him especially liable to these illusions of malignant spirits. These he acknowledged as being his masters and teachers. He solemnly gives thanks to God for the vocation and election peculiar to himself to this blessed state and condition, and he prays God that he may be worthy of such sacred visitors. Certainly, this impious and fallacious opinion had sunk so deeply into his very marrow that they were good angels, that by no reasonings, by no arguments, could it ever be plucked out. Kelly, being wiser on this matter, who sometimes expressly asserted that they were daemons, and often, indeed, being doubtful in his mind, was unwilling to have any intercourse with them, yea, and refused all further disturbance from the sealed-up tablets, but as often reproved by D, because he had distrusted these celestial revelations, and offered his soul as a pledge and a bond, with importunate prayers and supplications, with great difficulty, and in a manner unwilling, yet brought back to that impious office, which he again undertook. 
It cannot be disputed that Dee oftentimes nourished doubts in his own mind, for he had known that the most illustrious man, Lord Henry Sidney, in the secret councils of Queen Elizabeth, who had most prudently and happily governed the kingdom of Ireland in her name and authority, and had sufficiently admitted whilst yet he was amongst the living, that the pseudo-angels, although asserting as from a most certain and infallible oracle, had basely lied, which crime of falsity by them when it was exposed, this excuse was accepted as a legitimate proof and argument for their harmless truth, viz. either that Kelly had badly understood their words, or that some malignant spirit whilst they were absent, occupying the glass globe, had dictated this fable and lie. He easily resumed his favorable opinion of these impostors. The miserable D had known and been convinced by very many examples, confessed that evil spirits were accustomed to operate in others, by which wonderful tricks he was played upon in a horrible manner, and also that apparitions of these had before been made in his own crystal, in which they enacted wonderful and jocular sports, like those of mountebanks and jugglers, of whom one habited as a ridiculous and silly daemon. He himself called a liar, whom, having pronounced by way of reproach the proverb, quote, it behooves a liar to have a good memory, ordered him to depart thence, and nevertheless he most foolishly decided that all these things had been put forward by the fraud of daemons, desiring to instill into his mind by a subtle artifice scruples as to the truth of these actions." nor was he willing that anything of evil should be suspected as to his own spiritual friends, as he calls them. But they, lest by any means D should be freed from his folly, resolved that they must exert themselves and take the utmost pains. For very often they inculcate with most pressing assurances that all doubting must be banished, that they were good angels and administering messengers of God, into whose society he and Kelly were admitted, and at last that these illuminations flowed from the voices and presence of holy angels. Yea, pseudo-Uriel, to make his faith more sure, having invoked the name of God, swears that he is the true Uriel, the light and servant of God, concerning these divine revelations made to himself and Kelly, whom he said were prophets, and sanctified for the coming of the Lord. They must continue in the surest belief, that whatever should be communicated by them would certainly come to pass nor that one smallest letter of the prophecy shall perish, and also that from these books the true doctrine of the apostles and prophets could be collected. The same thing said also the pseudo-Raphael. So long as heaven and earth shall last, the memory of these operations shall never be obliterated. Also pseudo-Gabriel, that this doctrine delivered, and to be delivered to them was ordained, to be in use amongst all nations even to the end of the world. D. Induced by this most false persuasion, not carelessly, not rashly, or by a sudden and precipitate impulse, gave himself up to these actions, but with a pious, and as it seems, a sedate disposition, and approached them prepared with a sober mind, 
and if sometimes any remarkable action were to be performed, at which was present Stephen, king of Poland, by his confession that he might have a peaceful and clear conscience, and might be rendered more fitting to receive these celestial mysteries first performed, he communicated thrice in the paschal feast, preceded always by a prayer to God, with pious ejaculations and wishes interposed, and at the end with a solemn doxology, and rendering thanks to the triune God. Now then, by what wiles and subtleties the daemons deluded him, which, before I only just pointed out, I will here more clearly show, in order that to D, eagerly panting after the secrets of divine wisdom, the impostor angels might with greater and more certain success ply their wiles. They put before him things of this sort, that what had hitherto been concealed from the just and holy to him had been revealed and were still further to be revealed that certain barbarous words composed from the varying connection of the letters out of the language whose familiar use and knowledge Adam had in his state of innocence, which being lost after the fall and altogether blotted out from his memory, he, the protoplast of our race, driven out of paradise, being evidently deprived of his language, was obliged to learn with the Hebrew tongue that, to no mortal except to him and Kelly was it given to have revealed to him the thirty regions disposed in a locality set apart between the spirits who inhabit the air, expanded by the element of fire, distributed as far as the earth, and the universal world of twelve angels who preside over as many tribes. These direct a ministering king to compose tables both of the letters and the numbers which they feign to be the keys of the mansions of God in number XLIX, in which the mystical words of the angels are contained, whence also the perfect knowledge of the creatures of God and the Kabbalah of nature were to be learned, to whom, being opened, the fitted angelical keys were to be delivered, the book of Enoch, covered all over with mystical figures, and withdrawn from human sight into darkness, embracing the true use of the creatures of God and of the whole earth, in composing which, an angel, directing and instructing him, he labored for full fifty days, was to D to be unfolded by Oriel. Also, many other celestial secrets thereafter to be revealed to him, and especially a book containing various invocations of the names of God formed in the sacred language they promised to be described, so that D, being clearly and altogether demented by these deceits, and most foolishly persuading himself that these revelations had been given by God, he impiously twisted, as showing approval certain passages of the Old and New Testament, to whose visions and diabolical representations such as had formerly been attained by St. John in the Apocalypse and by Esdras. But when D was inflamed with the desire of foreknowing the future, to the certain knowledge of which the powers of human ingenuity and of the most sagacious mind clearly must fail to attain, the same impostors wished partly to flatter this most vain curiosity, and to humor him either by foretelling things to come or by lying. 
for a great plenty of predictions everywhere spread about in the actions is prominently shown, from which number I will pick out a few, not keeping any order of time. For instance, that the Emperor Rudolf, in the course of the then revolving year, would die a violent death. That Ernest, his brother, would succeed him in the imperial dignity, and that that family would continue only to the child of the third generation, that Stephen, king of Poland, having entered into a battle, would be killed in the month of September in the year 1585, that the Turkish Empire would be altogether overturned and the standard erected in the middle of Constantinople in the year 88, the century indeed being omitted, that the sun would then change its motion to the contrary point of the heavens, that certain stars would fall from heaven, that Antichrist would come before three years were past. D. was half doubting whether that prophecy was to be understood as to natural years, or indeed concerning mystical years consisting of forty-two months, and that Rome was to be altogether overthrown, not one stone indeed being left remaining upon another that the Pope would put off his life during the solemnities of the Mass, and that he who was to take his place would be the fifteenth, assuming the name, that the King of Spain would depart this life before the end of two years, and about the same time as Queen Elizabeth struck by a blow from heaven would perish, and that Emmerich Sontag, the secretary of Lasco, because of his broken faith, would kill himself with his own hand, Lastly, for it grieves me to relate more of these monstrous things, also that D himself and Kelly would be removed from out this life, but to rise immediately from the dead, when D taught by the most manifest experience that all these things were glaring lies, nor to any one of those prophecies had a like event responded at the prescribed time and in the course of the following life, who would not have expected that he would, at once, have been recalled from that absurd and impious credulity by which he had been so long hoodwinked, at length convinced by proofs of that sort, would have returned to his wits from the evidence of those tricks and wiles by which for so many years he was kept captive at their will and pleasure. But, oh, the greatly to be deplored blindness and insanity of the man, he clearly sinking and deprived of all sense and intelligence of divine things, was hardened in his fatal errors to the very last. When it was said above that D had preserved a sound and right judgment concerning the principal articles of the Christian faith, no one will wonder that the impostors were both frequent and diligent in asserting the mysteries of the Most Holy Trinity and the Divinity of Jesus Christ, for otherwise they would have repelled him and rendered themselves greatly suspected. But in the remaining theological dogmas, such as concerning transubstantiation, confession, penitence, controversies between the Papists and the Reformed, they contend for the doctrine of the Roman Church. Animadvert upon Luther, Calvin, and other apostates of the same kind, as they consider them to be, and advise him that it must be adhered to, that the scriptures are even to be read but not perverted with an evil interpretation, nor understood in a private sense. 
the which did not displease D, who protested in an epistle to the bishop Placentinus that he was a good Roman Catholic inasmuch as both himself and his associate had been the most obedient and most humble sons of the most holy church and most regardful of the highest Roman pontiff in the solemn offices of the sacred worship whilst he was absent in that long stay far from his country. In other theological affairs of various argument it is easy to behold in every action how often it is treated as to revealing the mysteries that many and false things are concealed under turgid words and conceits, and to have intermingled with them things very greatly foreign to the truth as much of religion as of nature, that they might the more easily and securely deceive their own priests. In the meantime, being but little versed in geography and the science of natural philosophy and the Greek and Latin languages, which they were accustomed frequently to use in actions, at least they were unskilled in the proprieties and elegances of the same, as face for fac angele mei. And nevertheless, they are those whom D reverenced with greatest esteem and loyalty, as though they were most skilled in all sciences as well natural as divine and according to his folly held them as being infallible masters. Two memorable cases seem not a little to help the more strongly to produce this obstinacy. In the action of the 10th April 1586, held at Prague, D. was commanded that he should bring all the books, in number 28, in which, as I have above stated, he had written most accurately with his own hand the history of the revelations made to him from the beginning up to that time, and then should cast them all together into a burning fire placed near, to be totally consumed by the flames, not having in the least dared to disobey this command which had been imperative, although in his mind very greatly reluctant, he made no delay, but indeed used all diligence, lest otherwise he should be deemed guilty of a violation of the divine will. Thus, all that labor taken and expended through so many years in collecting these secrets was seen to perish in a few moments before his eyes. Without doubt, D. deplored his irreparable loss with grief, with groans and with tears, as though it were the manifestation of the angry deity. All hope of regaining the same revelations, or of obtaining new ones vanishing and being cut off. Nevertheless, on the nineteenth day of the same month, being advised by a spirit, in the form and dress of a gardener who dressed the vine upon a neighbor's house, being so clothed that he might descend thither with Kelly, after they had sat together for a short time in a convenient place. D. seeing close by a sheet of white paper blown hither and thither by the wind, running hastily to catch it, found three of the burned books strewn on the ground under an almond tree, viz. the Book of Enoch, the forty angelical keys, at first written in the angelical language and then done into English, and the Book of the Collection of the Thirty Heirs, whose title was the Book of Terrestrial Science, of Help and of Victory. Kelly, immediately approaching, both on bended knees, returned the highest thanks to God on account of this fact and miracle, as they termed it, to be remembered forever, 
they being without measure astonished that they were preserved and unhurt and whole, untouched by any change of color or smell passed upon them. Soon after, Kelly, the same spirit gardener going before him, first of all to the house, the gates of the offices, as it is shown, opening of their own accord, and there being led to the furnace from him, with his face towards the door, brought back all the rest of the books, except one or two soon to be restored, reached out to him from behind, and received by D, who was awaiting the result of this apparition. All these things D immediately set down in his commentaries, all this circumstances being most accurately noted, and in the following July transmitted to the above-named apostolical nuncio the principal heads and a summary of this extraordinary event. Another supernatural occurrence, or by whatever name it may be called, which happened to D whilst he was staying at Trebona in the year 1587, is as follows. And now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or six dollars a month or fifty for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. Whilst he, on the 24th day of April, was at an action in his oratory, that principal crystal, concerning which he was accustomed to boast as though it were a celestial gift, together with its golden support, was carried off by a certain spirit, being a little before elevated on high. But after a month, Dee and Kelly walking in the garden, the latter saw two spirits, near the banks of the river, fighting with swords, of whom one scolds the other, because of his neglect of an office enjoined upon him as to restoring the crystal, and orders him to replace the same under the pillow of the bed of Dee's wife as soon as possible. The order was so given, which Dee, having understood, rushed instantly to his bedchamber, and having searched the bed in which at that time his wife lay ill, having removed the pillow, with glad eyes saw and found his precious crystal. Thus, by these frauds and tricks of the daemons, did he allow himself to be stupidly imposed upon. 
It hardly seems to be doubted that some portion of the gold-making powder must have helped D. and Kelly, but whence they obtained it does not so clearly appear, for neither the former nor the latter ever attained to this wonderful art, although both being most studious of chemistry, either by their own industry or instructed by seducing spirits, had endeavored through many years to find out. They say, and not indeed without some likeness to and appearance of truth, that in digging amongst some rubbish in a field in Somersetshire, belonging to Glastonbury Abbey, they had formerly found a certain vessel in which that powder was enclosed, near it being placed a book full of hieroglyphical figures, to interpret and explain which D. perspired in vain in making the attempt but he protests his belief sincerely, and as in the presence of God, that with respect being had whether to the quantity or the price or the value of that treasure, all the wealth of Christian kings collected together and heaped up could not equal a tenth part of it. But afterwards, in April 1587, an evil daemon named Ben assumed to himself the honor of putting that powder into the hands of Kelly. Whatever it was, it was certain that Lord Rosenberg received from them some portion of this powder, about two ounces, asked for by him. Also, that the Count Augsburg, as it seems being in communication with them, was made a partaker of the elixir. Some discs of silver transmuted into from tin vessels, according to their custom, was cheated by them, as relates the son of D, concerning whom I shall speak presently, who moreover, in a familiar conversation, formerly had with that most celebrated and most learned man, Dr. Thomas Brown of Norwich, where both being conjoined from long habit and friendship, professed the medical art often asserted, and that indeed conjoined with an oath, that he had twice seen this projection made. However, I will here omit others, whether tricks of jugglers or romances accustomed to be brought forward by our forefathers who cultivated the alchemic art even to infatuation. I do not wish to inquire too closely into the circumstances of the case, only will I reserve that the son at that time had not attained the age of nine years, and that the father seemed to be altogether averse to all reason and truth, and if he had brought with him from England so great a treasure of that sort, could he have been reduced to such poverty and extremities, or have been so very improvident, that for his return to his own country he should not have reserved for himself some small part in order to conveniently relieve the necessities and his straitened domestic circumstances under which he afterwards labored and was weighed down. That Kelly was a necromancer, and a long time since initiated into magical arts, sufficiently appears from what has been said above which can be further confirmed by this twofold proof, because that at that time, Lasco being present, he of himself undertook to bring up daemons to appear in visible form, whether to gratify his curiosity, or from a most vain desire of exercising towards them a power which he had. But D intervened, 
and neither would suffer that horrible wickedness to be perpetrated, also because being reproved by these spirits, for having had commerce with spirits, he was so far wanting that he either excused it or denied it, as if he were sharply contending that it was altogether lawful to him, as if vainglorious. He was of dissolute morals, of a fierce disposition, turbulent and very much inclined to quarreling. If, whether he was slightly provoked or whether the things had happened contrary to his wish and expectation, he was driven into fury and rage, indulging in wine by crafts and evil tricks, emptying of money and gems the lock-up places of the incautious, whom he had deceived with worthless promises, suspected of forging and adulterating the public money, so much so that an order to apprehend him was issued from the judicial bench. Finally, that he was void of all true sense of probity and religion. All these things D saw and was sad and they were well known to him, sore troubled in his mind, in one respect lest he should yield into his dishonesty and disgrace, because he had admitted as an associate to himself a man infamous for rascally and disorderly manners of that sort, and in another respect lest that sacred work to which so he dreamed with his eyes wide open, they both were together and conjointly destined, should be broken off and come to nothing. For this cause, although harassed with perpetual disputes and quarrels, and most seriously offended with base actions done before his very eyes, he often endeavored, and indeed taking great pains, with kind words and most gentle counsels and exhortations to bring him back to a sound and sober state of mind. Thus far as to Kelly's penitence in conversion to God, and of the purpose undertaken of beginning a life according to the law of virtue and religion, and more than once D seems to triumph over Damon's cast out from his body, but that it was false the repeated experience of his mind proved for Kelly, habit and long use being, as it were, changed into nature, relapses into his former ways. In the meantime, in lucid intervals, which here is fitting to be repeated, he very often doubts as to the visions made in the crystal, whether they were of good angels. Yea, he asseverates that all those strange appearances are done by the tricks of daemons, D asserting the contrary with greater sharpness, and at length having resigned the office of seer after serious deliberation, he most firmly determined with himself that he would hereafter take no part in them because that he was reproved by a voice sent from heaven when first he grew tired of so long serving the office. Which, having heard, D was wholly filled full of grief and horror, as if an end were now to be put to future actions, having consulted his spiritual masters as to a new seer, by their advice and command that his son Arthur, a boy not having yet passed the eighth year of his age, should be substituted to fill the place of Kelly in September 1587, 
as before, Kelly being near to assist at his initiation, and for three whole days the courses being repeated, a prayer to God being first offered that the new partaker in the mysteries might properly perform his office, consecrated him to this sacred office. But altogether vain, for those spirits whom D calls the faithful servants of God, although invited, by no means appeared. At length, on the third day, by a wonderful good fortune, or by divine direction, are the words of D, Kelly approached them, no apparition as yet having been made to the boy, and resumed his resigned office. Soon after followed that execrable action concerning the allowing the common and promiscuous concubinage of the wives, which I have above related. Kelly was forthwith unwilling to accompany D, about to return to his own country, whether conscious of his crimes or having conceived a hope of repairing his fortunes by a longer stay. On that account he quickly hurried to Prague, in order to conciliate the favor of Rudolph. It is rumored to have been because of that powder of projection, which surreptitiously taken from D, he had privately retained for himself. To the emperor, who was given to chemical experiments, he showed an easier method delivered into his own hands of extracting gold and silver, perhaps by the exquisite skill of the chemical art, and also out of the more ignoble metallic fossils, in which Hungary and Bohemia abound. Hence, being appointed his chemist, he was invested with the title and dignity of baron in the kingdom of Bohemia in the year 1590 but he did not know how best to utilize this happy and prosperous condition and turn of things, for he being elated in his mind, and as some will have it, having by the aid of the elixir acquired and heaped up great riches, he squandered it away in luxury and the vain affectation of magnificence and pomp. Afterwards, however, being convicted of fraud by which he intended, according to his usual subtlety, to cheat the emperor who was the kindest patron and favorer, he was cast into prison, there to undergo the punishment of perpetual imprisonment. At length, being invited by Queen Elizabeth to return into England, having in vain sought other means of escaping, whilst he was attempting to descend from on high by the aid of a rope by the walls, he fell to the ground. He fractured his legs and badly bruised his loins, and after a few days he perished miserably in the year 1595. It remains that I say a few words about the eldest son, our Arthur John, caring but little for the rest of his numerous family. He, having made a marriage with a most excellent lady sprung from a noble family at Manchester, during the time of his father's governorship there, his judgment maturing with his years, he devoted himself wholly to the studies of medicine and chemistry, never afterwards to be neglected. A short time after, being very capable in genius and learning, and being desirous of traveling, he was recommended by the most serene James I, monarch of Britain, to the Muscovite Caesar, who had asked for an English medical man to be sent out to him there. He stayed in that palace for eighteen years, with the highest reputation. After his return, being enrolled amongst the sworn medical men of his most serene King Charles I, he had his fixed dwelling 
during the following years of his life in the city of Norwich. And there, having completed a life of more than seventy years, he underwent his last day about the year 1650, and lies buried in the church of St. George. Whilst he lived at Moscow, he composed in the Latin language in the year 1629 a little book in which are contained notes of a special value gathered here and there from the writings of St. Dunstan, Artefius, Raymond Lully, Arnold de Villanova, Ripley, Dastin, Bernard, Count of Trevisan, and other select and most acute masters of the hermetic philosophy, who had already obtained the perfect knowledge of that grand secret of nature, by their sublime genius and indefatigable industry, aided by a divine inspiration, whilst their sons and disciples merely chatter about it. All this he did in a regular, distinct, and digested method, with corollaries annexed to each chapter by way of explanation, to this purpose that those studious of this divine art, as he calls it, and in searching out the secrets of nature, indifferently hidden, as was their custom under the veil of parables, enigmas, and equivocal phrases, and that they might be directed better and more easily in finding out and making that most eagerly desired stone. Thus it wonderfully pleased him, and he gave himself up to forming, and during his whole life favoring those ideas, so that he told a certain well-known chemist, a Hungarian by nation, on his leaving England, that he certainly had it in his mind, unless the inconveniences of old age had interposed, for this sole cause that he might make an attempt at, as he loved to speak, the solemn process of this great work. Elias Ashmole took care that this chemical collection, concealing the name under an anagram, and giving it also the title of the Anglican Mercuriophilus, should be published in our vernacular speech in the year 1650. In this preface, heaping up magnificent praises upon the author, as if, in publishing this excellent fruit of genius and industry, he had bound to himself forever all the lovers and pupils of the spagyric art. In the meantime, I cannot sufficiently wonder that D, the father, had not shown to a son of so great hope, and in his childhood initiated into those horrible rites, when he had grown up to manhood and seemed fit to be the hearer of those mysteries, the writings, the actions, and embracing consultations held with spirits, nor had allowed them to be read by him. For neither did any one of those declare that it was known to him, Dr. Brown above mentioned being present, unless, perchance, it may be said that he soon after his return from Bohemia had hidden those relations under the earth or elsewhere, never to be brought to the light again during his life, unless if they appeared by some accident, under that pretext and from clear proofs of that sort, he should be condemned to capital punishment according to the rigor of the law as a magician and propagator of diabolical doctrine. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.